We need God, not gadgets. That's the plain truth that we'll hear from Dr. J. Vernon McGee today on Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, welcoming you aboard the Bible bus as we set off for the Old Testament book of Job, chapter 5. And although Job lived thousands of years ago, and Dr. McGee recorded this study in the 1970s, today we see that no matter when we come to it, God's Word has the answers that we need for today. So if you're lonely, if you're disappointed, if you're brokenhearted, and maybe you found that things can't bring you fulfillment, well, there's good news ahead. So stay with us as we look to the Lord for the comfort and direction that only He can provide. But before we jump right in, I want to share a special email that we received from a listener named Ronald. Here's what he says. This morning, I will be attending the funeral of a dear Christian brother who completed his battle with acute leukemia. Bill was my ski buddy and a true servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wherever he went, he shared his life story and testimony with anyone who would listen. When his illness began to affect his ability to read and study, I ordered him a solar Bible bus so he can listen to Dr. McGee and study the Bible with him. He had never listened to Dr. McGee's teachings before, but it soon became a favorite way for him to pass the time. Last week, he went to the hospice house, and he requested his wife bring him his solar Bible bus. This was a very anxious time for him, but he told me that as he awoke early in the morning and listened to Dr. McGee, a wonderful peace came over him. We had a good time of sharing that morning, and the very next day, he went to be with his Lord and Savior. His wife later told me when a volunteer came into the hospice house to visit him, he told him his assignment was to find out everything he could about J. Vernon McGee. I'm sure Bill will be looking up Dr. McGee in heaven, and I'm also sure he'll be sharing with him his testimony and life story. What a great letter, Ronald. Thank you for sharing those memories of Bill. I'm sure he was a dear friend, and he'll be missed on the Bible bus, but I'm also sure that he received a glorious welcome into heaven. You know, you too can share Dr. McGee's five-year study of God's Word by giving a family member our Bible bus flash drive or simply pointing them to our app available online. It contains all of Dr. McGee's five-year studies as well as the notes and outlines and also more than a 100 of his digital books. You can call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE or visit our online store at ttb.org. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that your word is timeless in our lives. Would you give us ears to hear it and willing hearts to receive it? It's in Jesus' precious name we ask this. Amen. Let's turn to Job 5 and 6 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now we come back today to the book of Job, and we are in the first discourse of Eliphaz, one of the friends of Job. And this man has already insinuated that God punishes sin and that the reason that Job would have trouble, and the fact of the matter is no one that's innocent would suffer, and God is punishing sin, and therefore Job's having trouble, and he was, then that must be the explanation. And it wasn't the explanation. And then this man, he's the voice of experience. And he's had a vision, a dream, and it was terrific. But he came up with nothing. He was like the mountain that conceived and traveled and brought forth a mouse. And that's about what he came up with. It's a truth, but you don't have to have a dream, and you don't have to be frightened out of your wits to come up with that kind of a trite truth. It's something that everyone, I'm sure, knew and Job will let you know later on that he already knew this, and he hadn't had a dream. 
But that type of thing gives a man sort of a pulpit to look down upon people. He's the one that's the voice of experience. And you should listen to him because he knows. And maybe doesn't know, but at least he thought he knew. Now, he does give many very fine truths that he hear. And he has a premise here in chapter 5, where we got to last time, that is a great truth. He says in verse 7, that's where we begin, "...yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward." Now, you don't have to pour that into a test tube to find out that it's true, that man's born unto trouble. I don't think it's debatable that the human family has adversity, calamity, sorrow, distress, anxiety, worry, disturbance. And all you have to do is pick up your paper and you read a partial report of the human family. And news today is about fires, accidents, tragedies, wars, rumors of wars. Very little good news, by the way. All has to do with the trouble that this human family has seen. And no one knows the trouble I've seen. Well, everyone knows, because they've had the same trouble. All people have trouble. Not all are of the same race. Not all have the same color. Not all are the same size or the same sex. And not all have the same IQ. But somebody says, well, the Scripture says they're all one blood. That's true, but it's not the same type of blood. None are exempt or immune or can get inoculation from trouble. Tears are a universal language. Not all shed blood, but all shed tears. In fact, this word sympathy means to suffer together. And that's the human symphony today, the suffering of mankind. In fact, the Bible word for man is Enosh, Enosh. And Enosh means the miserable. That's man. Nothing sure, we're told, but death and taxes. Well, we can add one more to that and make a trio. Trouble, that's sure. And sparks fly upward according to a universal law, the law of thermodynamics. It isn't by chance or luck. Actually, what happens is that the updraft caused by heat on a cool night and a fire outside, and the sparks, they start upward. And they move because of that law. Now, basically, trouble, suffering, and sin are the result of disobedience to God. And there's no peace, says my God, to the wicked. And today, man's tried to build a utopia in sin. Won't work. You can't have a millennium without the Prince of Peace. And therefore, you'll not have peace without him. But they're trying to make peace without him. And therefore, trouble comes to man today. And the righteous do suffer. And the children of God have trouble, and they're not immune. Now, sometimes trouble comes to a child of God because of some stupid blunder. A woman told me once, says, my husband is my cross. He's not your cross. I don't care how bad he is. He may be an alcoholic, but you see, you're the one that said yes. That was your stupid blunder. That wasn't a cross. Cross is something you take up gladly, my friend. Now, sometimes trouble is a judgment of the father upon the child. We're told if we'll judge ourselves, we'd not be judged. 
But if we don't, he'll judge us. Now, sometimes trouble is a discipline of the Father. We're told in Scripture, the one whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And that's the thing that Moses, who was living the life of Riley, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season. It was a discipline for that man Moses, and God had never used him as a deliverer. He hadn't had 40 years' training down in the desert of Midian. And then Saul of Tarsus, a proud young Pharisee, and he says, I'm going to show him how great things he must suffer. And then God put him through the mill. Trouble is a discipline of the Father. And then sometimes it teaches us to be patient and to trust God. And then sometimes trouble comes because God is putting sandpaper on us to smooth the rough edges. And Job will come to that in this book of Job. He says, He knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I'll come forth as fine gold. He saw God was putting sandpaper on him to smooth him down. And then sometimes God permits trouble to come to us to get our minds and hearts fastened on him. And that is an explanation, I think, for many of us today. So there's a reason, friends, for trouble coming to the child of God. And therefore, this man's accurate here when he says, "...yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward." Now, I move on, verse 8 of chapter 5 of Job. "...I would seek unto God, and unto God would I commit my cause, which doeth great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number." who giveth rain upon the earth, and sendeth waters upon the fields, to set up on high those that be low, that those which mourn may be exalted to safety. He disappointeth the devices of the crafty, so that their hands cannot perform their enterprise. He taketh the wise in their own craftiness, and the counsel of the froward is carried headlong. They meet with darkness in the daytime, and grow in the noontime as in the night. But he saveth the poor from the sowed, from their mouth, and from the hand of the mighty, so the poor hath hope, and iniquity stoppeth her mouth. Now, what he's saying here, and he's saying it really in a beautiful way, is that God is faithful, and God is good, and God is just. That's the thing that he's saying. Well, that's true. But that doesn't reach the root of the problem of this man Job. He's not talking to Job, actually. Now, verse 17, he says, Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. And I've heard that verse quoted again and again. Now, somebody says, but isn't it true? Yes, but this was given as a personal dig against Job. And that doesn't always explain the reason that God's people suffer. We've gone over a list here, and there are several reasons. And sometimes you can use this as a little dagger to put in the heart of some friend and say, what's happening is you're wrong. God's correcting you. Well, that could be, but it may not be. And who are you? Have you just telephoned into heaven and the Lord's let you in on something? Some people speak ex-cathedra, and they're not even the Pope. They think that they have the last word. Well, my friend, you can't speak always into the problem of someone else. 
and then someone else can't always speak into your problem either. Now, verse 18, for he maketh sower and bindeth up, he woundeth, and his hands make whole. What a wonderful picture of God, and it is a picture of him. He shall deliver thee in six troubles, yea, in seven, there shall no evil touch thee. And he mentions, you see, six, and then you'll notice that occurs in the book of Proverbs. And it's not just a poetic expression. It means seven is actually not necessarily the number of perfection. It's always the number of completeness. The seventh day was the end of one week. One week had come to an end. And actually, seven is the number of completeness. And so this is the total spectrum of the trouble of man. Now, he'll deliver you in seven of these. Here they are. In famine, he shall redeem thee from death. Two, and in war, from the power of the sword. Three, thou shalt be hid from the scourge of the tongue. And by the way, that one is one of the worst. Thou shalt be hid from the scourge of the tongue. Gossips. More people are hurt today by gossips. There have been more people slain in the past few days in this country by the tongue than have ever been killed in war. My, I tell you, we need to pray that God deliver us from the evil tongue. I know a woman. She was a member of my church, and I always prayed. I said, oh, God, don't let her hit me with that tongue. And I tell you, I found out she did, but I don't think she ever hurt very much, but it was a mean one. That is something. Thou shalt be hid from the scourge of the tongue. Fourth, neither shalt thou be afraid of destruction when it cometh. That is the typhoon, the tornado, the storm. When I was a boy, I spent half my life in West Texas down in the storm cellar, especially in the spring. I always liked it because the neighbors came in and they put on pallets and we kids... We lay down on the floor in a storm cellar, but he'll deliver you. He expects you to go to the storm cellar. Then he says here, five, at destruction and famine thou shalt laugh. And today, where the gospel is gone, it doesn't mean that people have accepted it because they haven't. But it's interesting where the gospel is gone and still goes is the prosperous areas of this world. They are the ones that are the haves. I don't think that's an accident. And instead, maybe, of carrying rice to India, and I shouldn't say instead of, but why not in every bag of rice we put a little prize like they used to put in a box of popcorn and let that prize be a few Bibles? Because blessing attends that. Thou shalt laugh at famine and destruction. And six... Neither shalt thou be afraid of the beasts of the earth. And I'm not afraid of them, because they're all down in cages in the zoo. I'm not afraid of them. For thou shalt be in league with the stones of the field, and the beasts of the field shall be at peace with thee. And thou shalt know that thy tabernacle shall be in peace, and thou shalt visit thy habitation, and shall not sin. Thou shalt know also that thy seed shall be great, and thine offering as the grass of the earth. Thou shalt come to thy grave in a full age, like as a shock of corn cometh in in a season. And that's death. Now he speaks of death, not as Job did, as being some awful, hideous monster, but something that you welcome. There's a leveling out in death. 
Now he says, Lo, this, we've searched it. So it is. Hear it, and know thou it for thy good. Now that is the first discourse of Eliphaz. And you can see that it has not met the need of Job. It hasn't touched him. And this man, Job, now is dismayed. In fact, the matter is, he's alarmed, and he cries out now in pity. He cries out for mercy. He cries out for help because his friend didn't help him any. Oh, listen to him now. This is Job. Again, this is a plaintive plea that he makes. But Job answered and said, this is chapter 6, Oh, that my grief were thoroughly weighed and my calamity laid in the balances together. For now it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore my words are swallowed up. Job says, I can't even tell you how terrible my grief is. I can't explain to you this awful thing that has happened to me. Now you can see this man has not helped him at all. Just to tell him you got some secret sin and thing for you to do, boy, is to confess, get right. And that, my friend, is not always the thing to say. May I inject this here? I see this today, and I'm sure it's done by those who mean well. I see it on bumper stickers. Christ is the answer. Now, may I say to you, he is the answer. Well, what's the question? Now, if the question is, what must I do to be saved, then Christ is the answer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Now, if the question is, I'm going down to the market today, and I wonder what kind of meat I ought to have. Should I have ground round, or should I have maybe chicken? What should I have? I don't think he's got the answer for that. My feeling is that when you say Christ is the answer, Let's make sure that we know what the question is first. And that is the thing that Job is trying to get through to us now. He says, my grief is set, that I want an answer. My grief needs an answer. And just to come along and say Christ is the answer, you haven't given me the handle yet. You haven't told me. You need to recognize what my question is. And this man hasn't been able to fathom. Eliphaz, he missed the point altogether. Now, he said a lot of nice things, good things. And it's sort of like they said of President Coolidge. He didn't say very much, but what he said was generally worth listening to. He went to church one day, came home, and his wife, who'd been ill, didn't go. And she said to him, did you hear a good sermon today? He said, yes. What did the preacher preach on? He said, sin. Well, what did he say? Well, he was against it. My friend, may I say to you that we need, frankly, a little better answer than that. Job needs more than what's been given to him. Now, listen to him. He's crying out. Now, he's like a wounded animal. For the arrows of the Almighty are within me. The poison whereof drinketh up my spirit. The terrors of God do set themselves in array against me. And then he says, Doth the wild ass bray when he hath grass? Or loweth the ox over his fodder? Job says, I'm crying out, and you can see my misery, and you show no pity at all. 
I wouldn't be crying at you. Acting as if I'm not in trouble. And when a little old long-eared donkey is out in the field and he's eating grass, he's not braying for something to eat. And Job says, I'm not crying out because there's nothing that is hurting me. I'm hurting and he's hurting bad. Now, will you notice this? Can that which is unsavory be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? And that's pretty tasteless, is it not? The things that my soul refused to touch are as my sorrowful meat. Oh, that I might have my request, and that God would grant me the thing that I long for, even that it would please God to destroy me. Now, he's hit bottom, friends. He's got no help anywhere. He actually now questions the justice of God. Oh, if God would only destroy me, get rid of me, that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. He wants to die. Now, he's miserable. Then should I yet have comfort. Yea, I would harden myself in sorrow. Let him not spare, for I have not concealed the words of the Holy One. What is my strength that I should hope? And what is mine end that I should prolong my life? I have anything to live for. That's what he's saying. Is my strength the strength of stones, or is my flesh of brass? He said, I'm weary. I can't stand anymore. The pressure is too great. Is not my help in me, and is wisdom driven quite from me? Now listen to his cry. Oh, what a cry. To him that is afflicted, pity should be showed from his friend, but he forsaketh the fear of the Almighty. My friend should have shown pity to me, should have sympathized with me, but he didn't. And then he says here, verse 15, My brethren have dealt deceitfully as a brook and as the stream of brooks that pass away. Now, what he's saying is this, and this is beautiful poetic language. Job says, When I looked down the road and saw my three friends coming, I said, oh, thank God, here come my friends. They'll understand me. They'll sympathize with me. They didn't. They came here and immediately began to shake their heads. They began to find fault. And what was it then I saw? I thought I saw an oasis on the desert. And what I saw was a mirage. That's the language here. I didn't see reality. I saw nothing but a mirage out there on the desert. What a picture we have here that this man Job gives to us now. Well, we'll pick up there next time and listen to the plaintive cry of Job. And I'm not sure, but what it's the cry today of the human predicament, man today. Man with all of his gadgets. Oh, how lonesome he is and how restless he is and how unhappy he is and how miserable he is. He's certainly Enosh. He's the miserable one. He needs something more than gadgets. He needs God. May the Lord richly bless you, my beloved. It's true the world is filled with lonesome, restless, unhappy, and miserable people. And as Dr. McGee concluded, what they need, what we all need, is God, not gadgets. 
If you're just coming to the realization that things can't bring us fulfillment and you're ready to look for something deeper, then I would invite you to visit us at ttb.org and click on the banner that says, How Can I Know God? There you're going to find several free downloadable resources that we've handpicked just for you. Again, that address is ttb.org and click on the banner that says, How Can I Know God? Or call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE and we'll send you a couple by mail. And if you are a child of God and the weight of your problems just seems overwhelming, we got a couple of digital booklets that we think will help you too. Just visit the resources section of ttb.org to download your free copies of Why Do God's Children Suffer and Job, A Man Stripped Bear. Again, just go to ttb.org forward slash booklets to find those titles and many others. Now, as we take a break from our daily study for the weekend, I want to remind you that your study of God's Word doesn't have to stop, too. You can join me on the Sunday sermon for Dr. McGee's important message from Esther 4 titled, For Such a Time as This. Listen online, download our app, or see if your station carries the Sunday sermon, all at ttb.org. And if Job hasn't suffered enough with the loss of his children, his wealth, and his health, now his friends are pummeling him with horrible accusations. What happens next? Will God ever come to his rescue? We'll find out next week as we continue to make our way through the Bible. Today's study with Dr. J. Vernon McGee is brought to you by Through the Bible, and it's made possible by the generous prayer and financial investments from listeners like you on the Bible bus all around the world.